welcome to the Stalk and I podcast for solo parents and those considering solo parenthood by donor conception. I'm your host, Mel Johnson, the solo parenthood coach and solo mum to my six-year-old daughter. Series seven of the podcast is shining a spotlight on a collection of solo parenthood stories and speaking to a range of solo parents about their path to parenthood. Before we meet today's guest, I want to let you know about a really exciting event that I've run, which is now available on demand for Thriving Solo members. It was a grandparents event where I interviewed three grandparents from solo parent families, all about their thoughts, experiences and advice. It was a brilliant session and it's available to watch as a webinar or to listen to as a Thriving Solo members only podcast episode. Head over to the website for more information. And now, on to today's guest, solo parent, Jay Neal. Jay Neal, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. No worries. Thank you for having me. You're more than welcome. Before we start, do you want to give yourself an introduction? Yeah, so I'm Jay Neal and I started, I guess, the journey of being a solo parent I'm going to be 45 this year, so I guess I I really started thinking about it when I was 37, 37, 38. And yeah, full-time mother, full-time working in the corporate world, financial sector, and loving both. Uh, even though I don't like waking up at five uh, it's yeah it's been it's been it's been a it's been a good journey to where I am today I've had a successful career as well so it's all kind of coming together I guess are you like, in London I'm, yeah I mean I'm in Surrey right just outside and how old is your child he will be five in September okay also similar just a little bit younger than Daisy yeah. Fantastic. And sorry, I interrupted you. You okay. I was just saying, you know, I come from a, an Indian background. And so that's kind of played a big part of the thought process and everything and the cultural element bringing in into the mix of, you know, I guess my whole journey into solo parenting and what I wanted to do. Great. And I definitely want to chat to you a bit more about that because Lots of people come to me from different cultural backgrounds who maybe have got a bit more of a traditional culture and ask how have other people tackled that. So definitely something for us to explore. Can we start with your decision making process? So you said you were 37 when you decided to pursue solo parenthood. How easy was that decision for you? So I think, I think, I do think my culture comes into it. I was born in India, raised in the UK, moved over when I was two, raised in two cultures. So, you know, my ethnic background, being Indian, being a Gujarati, you know, everything I did when I wasn't in school was all centred around family, extended family, my cousins, every weekend we were together as a family, it was one person's house, another person's house or dinners or whatever. And so I really had a blended culture. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess I was one of the lucky ones in, in that my parents were very much, we decided to bring you to the UK. So whilst we want our culture embedded in you, we also recognize we're raising you 
in a culture that isn't pure Indian. And so we've got to be flexible and move with the times. Whereas I know other families may not be as lucky as I was. That said, I still felt as a girl in my culture growing up, nothing my parents have done, maybe just seeing family and family in India and everything and, and how they are that there were expectations of me, of being a daughter, of being a granddaughter, of being a niece, and what was expected, and getting my education right, and doing it the right way, you know. And so growing up, you know, being in a being in a culture where it's still primarily male dominated, you know, I I did see the differences in in, in not in my mom and my dad, but just in my surroundings and my upbringing so I did everything to ticking boxes I got my good grades I got my degree I got my master's I got my chartered qualification in HR and all of that stuff and then came the whole arranged marriage piece and whilst my parents have always said you don't have to go down the arranged marriage if you've got someone you know as long as they make you happy that's the main thing I didn't have anyone at the time. And so I said, yeah, I'm happy to go through the arranged marriage process, went through the arranged marriage process, moved to Australia. Six months into the six months into the marriage, my dad got on a plane overnight, came to Australia and extracted me from that marriage. And that's when I think everything really hit me because it was like I did everything what I felt was right by my culture, by what society wanted, and look at the hand that I got dealt. And even though the the divorce and everything was no fault of mine, society will talk that it's always the girl that failed. Maybe the girl could have done a little bit more. Maybe the girl did this, or maybe the girl did that. And the man always comes out looking glorious and so we then went through a process I moved from Australia to um, Singapore with work and my parents were worried my parents were like you're on your own why don't we start looking are you ready and I was like I don't I'm, I'm, I'm I just want to focus on my career I'm happy I'm happy living the life I'm living and in India they have this thing they, they call it a book it's like an ad of all the bachelors and and, mm. and that so the front half of the book is all the single boys and the back half is all the single girls and then you know the parents kind of look and everything and I found out that they had done this through some weird way and it was it's funny now but it wasn't funny at the time because I was like what are you doing and, and these boys that were emailing me and their parents were emailing me and I was just reading these emails and I was flicking them over to dad going you deal with this now but what what happened through that process was like I was damaged goods and so all I get are uh, are, 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 are people that are either wanting to leave India so they want me for my passport or or she's had a divorce so this like she's she can't pick the creme de la creme anymore like surely you should look at somebody that is 
on their merit and what they stand for and who they are and what they believe in and their personality. And it, it really, really did impact me. And so I kind of, while I lived in Singapore, decided if I get to the age of 35 or 36 and I'm single, then I'll start maybe looking at adoption. I didn't really think about IVF, not for any particular reason, but I just thought, there were, you know, let's go and have a look at adoption and start that process. Fast forward to 36, I moved back to the UK and I still remember the day I, I, you know, it'd been on my mind for a few weeks that I don't want to do adoption. I want to go down the IVF route and I want to just explore and understand what my options are. Hadn't really made a decision, but I also had the fear of, I don't know how my parents will take it. Adoption is quite different to actually being pregnant and doing the IVF and all of that. So I still remember the day, sat on the staircase, mum standing in the hallway, and I'm just petrified of like what she was going to say when I told her. And I'm like 36, 37 at the time, like still petrified, you know? Uh, and yeah, I, I kind of said, I want to, I want to, I've made an appointment for Saturday to go to the London Women's Clinic. They're doing a seminar to understand all the various options that you've got, because I think I want to do it this way. And so I've just waited and waited. And my mum's like, okay, fine. And I, 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 and that blew me away, you know, and, and my parents have always been supportive, like, you know, like that it's not even a question, but I don't know what it was. It was, it was the fear of, if I do this, what will society think about my parents? Mm. Because, you know, I, I worked for Mars Inc. at the time and I traveled a lot, right? So it's like, well, she out and she's traveling and she's most probably had a one night stand or whatever it might be like it was the fear of I never want my parents to have to hold their head low I want them to stand up and be proud which they would be and so I think it was that fear more than anything else and so when my mum kind of said yeah okay then go I was like okay and so yeah that 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 was the turning point that was the point of where I was like no I you know I'll find out what the options are and I'm going to pursue that route and doesn't it make it so much easier when you've got the support of the people the important people in your life oh a hundred percent I'm scared of needles right so I was like you're gonna have to stab me <laughs> with injections till they tell you to stop mom and she's like that is absolutely fine and she Aww. did it without fail you know like I because I just couldn't look I can't do needles and and that and she came to the appointments with me it it was just yeah the support that is is what gets you through I think that process if you're doing it on your own because I don't think people really realize the toll it takes having to go for all of those appointments so yeah yeah my parents just being the backbone through that whole process amazing and are you so right I think a lot of people say to me from from you know no matter what culture people are from that sometimes their parents are almost worried about how they're going to tell their friends and the wider family and they they almost 
they're okay with it, but they worry about how they're going to explain it to other people can sometimes be the worry. But it sounds like your parents were pretty confident that if it's the right decision for you, it's the right decision. My gran actually, like, so when, when you know, we went went through the whole process and everything, and when we announced, you know, I waited the three months and everything, just wanted to be 100% sure. And when, you know, we told my gran first, and my my grand's even from a generation before, right? like where like this stuff just either didn't exist or was never spoken about. And she turned around and she she actually said to my mom on the phone, "People will talk in our society. Let them, because we can go to bed every night knowing what the truth is and that we've done no wrong. So if people want to talk, let them talk." Wow. And I was just like my my gran like we had her support you know and there wasn't there wasn't anything about it like for her it was like her first grandchild you know is gonna have a baby you know and like yeah she was yeah yeah my brother had a kid before I did but you know I'm the firstborn kind of thing so so yeah so she she was over the moon Amazing. And how do you think people took the news? So your close family, your parents, your grandma, do you think there was any judgment from wider family or was it was it mainly supportive? It, it was mainly supportive. I think I'd heard wider, you know, people saying, oh, you know, she does need somebody when she grows up. I didn't do this because I want old. Like, I don't need a child to kind of have somebody there for me to grow old. That's yeah. not why I did it. I did it because I've always wanted a family. I've always wanted children. And I'm not going to get into a relationship to just be able to have kids, you know. If the means and the technology is there and it's so advanced now, then then why wouldn't I, you know? So, so yeah. Absolutely. And so then I suppose it was a a different situation for you because you'd already experienced a different route and that wasn't the fairy tale version for you. So did that make it easier to say, actually, this is then a really good option for me? Yeah, I I think it I think it did. I think I, you know, I'd already had that age in mind, but I think just the, the divorce and the fallout of what I heard society say and then you know my parents trying to find somebody for me and the attitudes that I would hear or the the narratives that I would hear about you know me being damaged goods or what got me to a point where it was like I've tried to be that Indian daughter girl you know whatever it is society expects of me as a woman and it's actually not been there to support me so actually people are going to talk regardless of anything people are going to talk but I know what I went through to have my son you know, I ended up with ovarian hyperstimulation. I ended up in hospital for five days. You know, I had to stop IVF and then I had to do frozen egg transfer because I needed to recover from the hyperstimulation in order to be able to then move on. 
I know all of the injections I've done. I know the 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 the, the hyperstimulation and the pain it caused my body to get to Harley Street from where I live. Like I know all of that. And I also know coming out of it, you know, having having my son, the the happiness it's brought me, the happiness it's brought my parents. And so if people want to talk, then they can talk. Because how long are they going to talk for? Mm-hmm. A day, two days, three days before it becomes potentially old news. Yeah. And, and and at the end of the day, it's me and him. Yeah. And that's all that matters to me, right? Like it, it it is just it's me and him and my and my family that are, you know, supportive. Um so so for me, yeah, it 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 I kind of just got to a point where it was like, I'm actually now gonna do what's right for me. Yeah. And and not what I feel society expects from me. Yeah. Yes, and and so that that did absolutely make the 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 the, the route into actually I don't want to do the the adoption route. I want to do this route much more easier. The the other thing with the Indian culture, so I lived in India for a year, and what I found is it's much less about the nuclear family and much more about the community side of things so I was blown away when I lived in India by how welcomed I was into other people's families so they would never have me on my own it's like no come to my house meet my parents my grandparents you know we'll cook you dinner we'll check that you're okay and so you are enveloped into family life Whereas in the UK, I feel like we're a little bit more isolated and individual. And and I'm almost like trying to replicate that feeling that I had from India, that it doesn't need to be just you isolated in a nuclear family. You can create it wider. Have you you had that experience? Yeah. So, you know, I've I've been lucky. You know, I've got I've got my parents and I've got cousins that are you know always like come round you know with their I'm at my cousins for Christmas every year you know it's just she thinks my cousin thinks the world of my kid I think the world of her kids you know and and it it, it is you know having grown up in in the UK it has been for me the 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 extended family right whether whether it's been my dad's school friends that we hung out with every week as well as the family every week, you know, it, it, we were always together. So I always felt our culture. I always felt what it would be like to grow up in India, minus the pollution and stuff. (laughs) It was, you know, it, it, I, I didn't feel like I had to go to school to learn about my culture because I lived and breathed it every day. And, whilst my son is is mixed race you know you know I'm not going to be like well you're you're you know you've got to follow Hinduism as a religion or anything but I I want him to feel to your point that embrace that you get as as we do in our culture of you are a part of a bigger community you are a part of a bigger family you know it is just me and you and you know you've got your grandparents but you've got your cousins and 
you know, your aunts and uncles, regardless of whether it's my brother and, and his wife and kids, but my cousins are your aunts and uncles. It's just, I want him to feel that love. So he, he knows he's a part of the community and, and even a couple of my friends, you know, their, their auntie, this or uncle that they, they are a part of, you know, the, what you experienced. It doesn't matter if you're not blood, you're still like, if we've got the closeness, you are here for birthdays, you are here for any celebration, you just pop round whenever you want, and there'll be a cup of tea and snacks and stuff. So yeah, absolutely, you know, I am trying to build that for him. Some of it is natural, because we've got family in the in the UK. And, and, and some of it is, you know, we, we, we've got to kind of build it out through where we live and through friends and and stuff like that but yeah it, it takes a village right like it really does and I think it's such an important conversation because I think it's so helpful for people to try to reimagine this nuclear family that we've really all grown up with you know that's the thing that is almost like the aspiration the happily ever after and I think the more we hear stories of people who've done things differently and yeah. and, and and have created a different version of family you know the 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 easier it is for people who are struggling to reimagine that a little bit yeah yeah definitely so you talked about um your son being mixed race how difficult was it for you choosing a sperm donor it was it was difficult in in the sense of what do you when you read the profiles what do you get kind of you know apart from the health aspects what do you kind of pick that you want from a donor and and so you know I've got I've got two friends and they've both been through either IV, IVF or IUI and I spoke you know I spoke to to one friend and you know they were like oh they they focused on x y and z and I spoke to another friend and it's like no we didn't really focus on those items because we we just we just focused on the health and that was it really everything else was secondary like out there like help as long as the person was healthy we we were kind of good with that so I was like oh okay then and she goes you've also got to kind of remember nurture versus nature you know all, all of that stuff so you, you could go and find yourself a PhD or a you know whatever you want but I, I mean th there's no guarantee right and I look at my own situation with my brother like I had to study if I had exams coming up I'd lock myself away for two months to try and remember stuff to sit the exam. And I, I am an academic person, but my brother just looks at something once and I hate him for this, but looks at it. He remembers it. Job done. Like move on to the next page. My right? brother is exactly the same. I always said if I had my brother's brains, I'd be dangerous because it, like, I'm like what I was exactly the same, really, really revising, working. And then he was like, oh, yeah, I just know how to do that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I, I still remember one night he came he came home from school dropped his bags off got changed I think it was like a Thursday night or something and he's like oh I'm off to the cricket ground or the pub or something and my dad's and then he went into school the next day and then my parents owned news agents and so one of the customers must have been my brother's friend's dad or, or something and they all went to the same school and he goes oh so how did your son do in your exam on a Friday or something like that on the conversation my dad was like he had an exam today 
he was out the night before and, and yeah. he did really well in that and I was just like I'd have been there till like 4am trying to study right yeah. and so I was like okay yeah nature versus nurture or just just what's in you right so for me when I when, when I, I and I, I'm not a, I'm not ashamed of saying this I was like well you know let's try and you know make make his his, his possibilities the best you know so yeah. let's where do, where, do, where, do, where do I find Oh, I can't believe I'm going to say this. <laughs> do I find the most attractive? You know, what what countries are do I find men mostly attractive? You know, and so I was just going through the 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 the, the file and everything online, and I came across a donor who was a mix of Italian, German, and so for me, I was like, health ticked all the boxes and everything, and then just that mix of you know Italian, Irish, German and English I was like yep yeah, that mix will be absolutely fine you know and and so I picked that but I, I do I do remember when I did the counseling session at the clinic so you had to do a one-hour counseling session before you kind of that there, there was a conversation which I made me feel really uncomfortable because you know she was saying to me oh you know you might want to pick a donor that's from the same ethnic background as you and I was just like, mm, no, <laughs> like, I'm just going to pick what I want to pick, you know, and she's like, but he, you know, he or she may feel at certain times that they are not a part of the family. And I'm like, but we have kids in our family that are mixed race, you know, it's not uncommon yeah. now for us, you know. And and she's like, no, you know, he might not feel loved or she might not feel loved and everything. And I, I actually felt in that moment that I had to say, okay, fine, in order to be let out of that room right. and be able to progress. Yeah. Um, and that really, and, and the more I thought about it, the more frustrated I got on the way home because I was like, my son or my daughter will feel the utmost love, not because... I had them through IVF or anything, but they are a part of me. They are a part of our family. My cousins will love him, you know, and yeah, like, why would you not love a child? What has a child done wrong, right? Yeah. Like, and so I, I, I was a bit disappointed with, with that conversation. And, and I think, you know, sometimes, sometimes I, I, I must admit, I, I do dig my heels in sometimes to just make a point. And I think that even, I, I mean, I'd already made the decision that this was going to be the donor, but I was like, that was it. Nothing was going to move me. Yeah. I, I dug my heels in and that, that, that was it, regardless of what, you know, I was advised in that session. I, I, I don't, I don't believe in, they have to be the same skin color as me or from the same cultural background. He's going to learn the culture. You know, I, I I was more immersed into the culture than my brother was. I'm not saying that he doesn't have the the cultural background, he absolutely does. But I, you know, I liked doing all the festivals and stuff. You know, and 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 he does too. But he was more balanced, I think. I was more maybe more towards our culture with a little bit of going down the pub or something. That changed when I hit my twenties. I kind of. <laughs> the side of the world you know what a yeah. lot of people say is that they make a real effort to to try to do both and to try to give all the information and all the 
experiences of both and, and and that's all we can do really isn't it yeah I mean he's he's already as a child been to India one two two times amazing you know and, and because we've got family there and I want him yeah. to still have that connection and I, I also think we live in a different time yeah to where we were gro- growing up you know and so when we were growing up we didn't have smartphones or tablets or YouTube or anything so we did things as a family more and I'm not saying just because there's YouTube or tablets or laptops or anything like that we now don't interact but life is different there are a lot more classes you know you've got drama class swimming class rugby football tennis whatever you kind of want to do whereas back in the day like when we grew up that it, it, it was literally go to school come home homework it, we, we were education focused and at the weekends it was all about family and getting together and dinners and parties and stuff and now it's yes it is about education but it but it's also about those extracurricular activities and clubs and stuff and so it, it does get and then you've got the birthdays they're just one after another at times right like they are they are out there and you're doing them and so we didn't have as many birthday parties I don't remember as many birthdays to kind of go to and and so yeah it was friends are now soaked up in in all of that right and so then it's trying to find that weekend where they're free and you're free and you can get together but you FaceTime right like and I know it's not the same but I just I think we live in a different time to when we we grew up. And I think that that kind of impacts a little bit as well in terms of how much you're immersed into the culture in the UK. Yeah, so true. And did you go straight for IVF or did you try IUI first? I went, I went straight for IVF. Just having seen the percentages at that age, and I can't remember the percentages, I just thought, you know what, like, it's expensive. Yeah. And, and if IUI is going to give me a considerable lower yeah. chance, I could have gone down that road. I didn't know whether I could be or could not be, like, if you know, I would have trouble conceiving or anything but I just thought I don't if I'm gonna do it I'd rather just do it where I've got the highest chance of having success yeah that was exactly the same as me I did the same because I just thought hopefully less of a roller coaster you're giving yourself the the best chance but I know there's lots of different factors to consider but that that was the same as me and so then how did the treatment go how did you have to have one round or more one round so so with 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 so IVF then ended up as frozen embryo mm-hmm. only because of the, that high, ovarian hyperstimulation after they did egg, egg extraction yeah and so that happened in September and then they did the frozen embryo transfer in January Right. And that in itself was was really, I mean, apart from you just needing to go to the loo because you've had to drink so much yeah. water, the process was really good, right? Because, you know, my mum was there and it was just so awkward. I, I'm one of those in an awkward situation, I'll try and crack a joke because I get nervous. And so, you know, you've obviously got this doctor that you've never met before. He's 
between your legs and and there was some delay so he just sat there and I was just like oh this is so awkward how do I break the ice and stuff and I don't know what happened and I, I just I it just came out I just turned around and said so do you you know do you do this often and it was just like well yeah you know and anyway so finally Brilliant. they they came the embryologist came round with it and they did it and because they scan you right to place place the the embryo in the optimal place it was just amazing seeing it on the screen because you actually get to see the embryo exit and then just sit there right and it that that for me I, I still remember that moment and my mum was there and she got to see it as well so I just feel like yeah that that I still vividly can see see that but yeah so I IVF was the, the process the injections the 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 overstimulation and the pain and everything was really really bad but then when you did that element of frozen embryo was really good and then that night we came obviously it was in the afternoon came home and taken a couple of days off didn't want the stress of work and then in the middle of the night, I remember mum woke me up and said, there's something wrong with dad. I ran into that room, into the bedroom, and my dad's just lying there. And I'm like, is he like having a heart attack? Like what? Called for the ambulance. We've got a doctor next door, called for the doctor. And 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 like, I'm telling my dad, like, just hang in there. I don't know what's going on. And I'm like, you just hang in there because I might be pregnant and you've got to meet your grandchild. Like I just, I was telling him that and he was just murmuring and I was just like, I have no idea what's going on. And then the ambulance, the paramedics came and everything and they spent ages trying to get, stabilize him, took him to hospital. It was about like 4 a.m. by then. And I followed and I came home and as everything was just settling, I was like, there is no way. Like through the stress that I've just, my body's been through, there is absolutely no hope that it, this has been successful. So we'll have to go to the second embryo. Interestingly, a few days later, I went, I went out to dinner with a friend of mine just down the road at the pub and I had my face backed onto a few tables and, and I was like, I can smell vinegar. And I couldn't understand where the vinegar smell was coming from because we didn't have anything, any vinegar on our table and the tables in front of me didn't. And she goes, the table right at the back have just used vinegar. Wow. And she's like, oh my God, you're pregnant. I was like, no, just because I can smell it does not mean anything. We're only on day three. I've just been through trauma. No. And so about half an hour later, I smelled smoke as if somebody had been smoking and I was like is someone smoking in here and she goes that table where you smelt vinegar went out for a smoke and they've just come back in again and I'm like she's like you are pregnant and I'm like no no it's not possible and and my and this and this the the the, the smell just kept heightening day by day by day and I I was trying to not get excited by it because I'd known what I went through with my dad. And then, and then I just, I couldn't wait. I, I just couldn't wait. So I I did, I did an early, I, I went and bought out a number of pregnancy tests because yeah. I knew I wasn't supposed to test, yeah. but I still did. And there was this absolute faint line 
And I was like, oh, I took a photo, sent it to a friend who, who she showed her wife and they came back and said, a line is a line is a line. You're pregnant. And I was, I was like, no, 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 no. We're going to try another one. So we tried another one the next day and the line was more solid. And I was just, gosh, I'm pregnant. Like how, how through that trauma am I like still pregnant, like not still pregnant, but pregnant. Right. And, and so he's, he's, to me, is just my miracle baby that, yeah, yeah, we went through all of that and he's still, he still made it. Amazing. And how are you finding being a mum? I love it. I think sometimes being a solo parent is, can be isolating in, in terms of, you know, I love my kid. I love being his mum. I love that I go drop him off. There are there are things that are non-negotiables for me, dropping him off, picking him up. You know, if I have to miss a pickup or a drop off, it has to be for a meeting that absolutely is a critical meeting at work that I, I absolutely have to be present for. Is he in and school now? He's in preschool. So he starts, he starts reception in September because I see his face when I go pick him up it's it's all lit up and you know he comes running into my arms and I just don't want to miss you know any of that mother's day sports day I I, they are all my non-negotiables of I will not miss those you know if you want a meeting at that time even though you can see I'm out of office I am not attending that meeting I do find even though I've got this community of family and friends there are just pressures that we have on ourselves that I think only other solo parents can understand. Yeah. You know, it's not like at the weekend I can give my, my child to a co-parent. You know, that child is with me. You know, don't get me wrong. My parents are always there for me whenever I, I need them. But he's still, he's with me seven days a week, you know, all year round I have to make those decisions on my own I second guess am I making the right decision am I making the wrong decision you know and 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 so they're decisions that I ultimately have to make on my own I can I can go and go so you know what did you do when you went and tried to find a school for reception and you know my cousin can tell me well this was important to me this was important to me and that was important to me and somebody else might tell me well that was important to me but ultimately what I want and what is important for what I think my child is for my child is ultimately my decision you know um, and it, isn't it funny because it, it it's a pro and a con isn't it because there's a pressure to that that we always have to make all of the decisions at the same time I do know people at the moment disputing what school to send their child to whereas we don't have that so the sort of benefits and disadvantages a bit in some ways yeah Yeah. and 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 so yeah sometimes it can be you know who do you talk to to bounce an idea off that that can understand yeah your situation and 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 you know that 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 is absolutely not saying 
that you know whether you it's a it's a couple relationship or it's you know co-parenting people wouldn't have the same decision making or pressures as well but I just think as a solo parent it is solely on you that there there isn't a co-parent or a co-partner that you kind of can have that conversation over a coffee and and do a pros and you know we can do a pros and cons list absolutely but you've got to fight with yourself to make that right decision right yeah. so I just I think it's a different type of pressure yeah again you know not trying to take away from co-parenting or you know marriages or anything like that I, I just think the pressure is slightly different yeah I think there's a relentlessness as well isn't there because like yeah. if you've had a really bad day at work and you and you have an early morning and you're tired yeah. and then they won't brush their teeth they won't put their pajamas on they want one more story even though they've had seven then there's a monster in the bed can we just check them yeah. and you're just like please just don't sleep I'm so tired <laughs> Um, yeah. And it would, uh, it's those sorts of occasions where you're like, it would be quite nice for someone else to just do this whilst I go and put just, the teeth up. <laughs> yeah. Pass them over to someone. Yeah. And sometimes just seven days a week constantly is your responsibility. I think that that can, it can feel a bit relentless, can't it? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you've got, you've got to drive them to clubs and parties and you've got to, do dinners and you know you've got to try and figure out how you know my social life has taken a back seat you know and and I don't resent it I don't I don't anything but how cool would it be nice to be able to have more of a social life you know like I do you know I've got my parents so I do go out for drinks with the with the girls or whatever but would I do it as frequently as I maybe could if if I had somebody or, you know, and again, that's not to say that I want someone because I've made this decision of being a solo parent because this is what I want. But, but yeah, it it, it is, it is relentless. And, you know, what, what, what do they want for dinner? And now they've stopped eating. They loved sausages last week and they now no longer love sausages this week or they loved cottage pie. And now they're like, oh, cottage pie. I don't like that. And, it's just and they like, look at you as if, you're like I don't like that and you're like but you liked it yesterday how am I supposed yeah. to keep up with it yeah it's it, madness it, isn't it it is and it's just on the go right like they wake up in the middle of the night and it's you you know it, it's 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 you yeah that's all, all all they have is is us yeah and I was having this conversation about my social life to Daisy at the weekend because I had a group of solo mums around to the house and I was trying to catch up with them. And because it is just Daisy and I, I don't know if you found this, she always wants my attention because she's used to it. So then when my friends came around, I was like, I will do that for you, but can I, but in a minute when I've just finished this conversation and it was almost quite relentless, she wanted me to push her on the swing just because I was trying to have a conversation with someone else. And I said to her, I also need to have friends. I need to catch up with my friends, but she's five, so she doesn't care or get she it. Doesn't. <laughs> but, no. um... I find that. So I, I went I went to the pub with a friend. There was a couple of us mothers went down the pub one day and Avi was like, 
so where are you going mama and I was like oh I'm going down the pub and he's like well what do you do at the pub because he's never heard me go down the pub right I was like um, my mum quickly said she's going to have a cup of tea <laughs> like okay I'm having a cup of tea and and he said well can I come and I was like no because I'm going with auntie Steph and we're going to have a play date a mummy play date because I was like how do I explain to a five-year-old I'm going to have an adult conversation <laughs> and just a night out and so I was like well this is a mummy play date and he goes yeah but I want to come on the mummy play date and and then we had tears and everything. And then I felt really bad leaving him. And then I texted and it's literally a two minute drive to the pub. And but I texted and, and, and then like, yeah, he he stopped crying the minute he closed the door. And I was like, okay. But but even if like, it's me and my mom sat, like, it's, so if it's the three of us, yeah, my mom's there having a cup of coffee and I, or a cup of tea and I'm having a cup of coffee. He's on his tablet or he's watching something on TV not saying a word at all yeah the minute I say something to my mom mama what's that and I'm just like you need to hold on one second sweetheart I need yeah. to talk to gran you know and 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 it's then relentless because I'm trying to finish this conversation but he is just like mama mama mama, yeah. mama. And, it, and, and, it, and it is it's that it's that attention right yeah. like he's always had me and it's all about me. So granddad can't take him to bed anymore or, you know, it has to be you. And sometimes when I had to, you know, sometimes I don't work late. I just re I just decide I'm actually just going to fall asleep because I'm too exhausted and I'll actually just wake up before he wakes up and yeah. do a couple of hours. He used to just sleep straight through. But now he'll he'll wake up and he'll be like, I don't want granddad. I want... I want you and so then it's I can't do any work so now it's that and if I take my laptop to bed so I'm like okay well if I can't do the work downstairs I'll take the laptop to bed and I'll I'll do the if he wakes up or he stirs he'll turn around and go mama no 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 working in bed you have to go to bed and, <laughs> and it's just when do I get my work done right because it's, it sounds so familiar I've got so many of the same things with Daisy and it's so hard isn't it because because we've got to work so how how do you try to balance work then what what does your sort of working week look like um so I do I do I I'll work through till six and then he usually has his dinner at six and I you know that that is something I want to be there sat at the table having dinner but I'll, I'll start nine so I'll do nine till six sometimes he'll go to bed and you know if he's just gone to bed and I want to go to sleep I might knock out another hour or two in the evening yeah. but sometimes at, at the weekend my parents might just look after him so I can do half a day and just get get the stuff that I need to get done for the week out the way that eases the pressure a little bit but yeah I used to just wake up at like maybe three four o'clock in the morning and just plow through wow and then he'd wake up at about five so I'd get a couple of hours if I was lucky he'd sleep in until six and I'd just plow through which would just set me up for the day but yeah I, I and then if I've got like sports morning or 
Mother's Day or anything like that, I'd I'd have to just adjust to get the work done because the work is also relentless, right? Like just the deadlines and the deliverables and and it's just yeah. Do you work from home or do you have to go into the office? Yeah, I work from home. So ever since I moved back from the UK, touch wood, I've been really lucky uh for the last six, seven years. I I've just been able to have a job by just sheer luck that that's like you can work you can work from home I you know I, I think working for Mars the first six months I just traveled to the world for the first six months yeah. you know I think I was I was at home for about a month in those first six months and I knew that that would all change and so I do I do kind of miss that element of being able to go to another country and meet yeah. new people and you know having lived in Australia Singapore and and Canada it it opens up I think a different perspective yeah of, you know different cultures and different different ways of working and different you know Australia worked hard but like come five o'clock people just chilled they oh. logged out they're gone they're you know down the bar or at the beach or whatever it might mm-hmm. be it's just a completely different and that opens so I do miss that element yeah I've had my run, right? I'm happy where I am. But I want I want him to have that same experience of seeing the world, experiencing the different cultures and stuff. So I guess if I've got to work a little hard and it, it kind of pays the bills and I can take him on, you know, a holiday a year to somewhere nice where he can experience something. Obviously, he's five. He's still going to be five and he's not really going to understand all of that. Yeah, if if we get to the stage, I, I really want him to be able to do that. So I think, you know, if I've got to do a couple of extra hours a day or wake up a little bit early, as long as it's not impacting him, yeah. I'm good with, with kind of doing that. And I, I think that they might not remember at this age, but they're still learning, aren't they? Like I've seen Daisy's confidence grow massively from going away and being in different places and meeting different people. And yeah, she she won't be able to remember those specific holidays when she's older, but I do think it shapes them as well, doesn't it? It must be it an does. amazing experience to go to India, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, we went, we took him to India when he was three months. Mm. Then we took him to Chicago when he was six months. And then he went back to India just after we turned one. And then obviously with COVID and everything, yeah. we were at home and, I think his first plane trip was last year in October when we went to Canada where he met his cousins and you know my brother and sister-in-law for the first time my brother for the second time but yeah the whole family together our family his family and everything together for the first time I was a bit nervous because he's obviously you know just turned four actually understands being on a on a plane now and I was a bit nervous about, well, how's he going to find takeoff? And the, and and that I he's got some sensitive sensitivity in hearing, so he doesn't like loud noises. So I was just like, oh my goodness, like what's he going to do? How's he going to be? And he just sat, and we took off, and it was absolutely fine. And yeah. and I, all of that anxiety that I had of is he going to be all right? Is he not? And then, you know, the thought did cross my mind. Is it because he's been on planes? So true. He has, he does have really good memory. Yeah. Um, does he actually remember? I've actually 
maybe not that he went to India or you know, I mean, yeah. not, he was six months, but like he's been on a plane. He's mm. it kind of feels familiar kind of thing, you know. Mm. Like so, so yeah, he was absolutely fine on the plane. Amazing, but a hundred percent that it. I I I don't think you're ever too young. To experience a different country, experience a different culture, um, I think it does it does mould you into who you are in the future for sure. Agree. And for people who are listening to the podcast who are trying to decide where the solo parenthood is the route for them, what advice would you give them? I think for me, is if you really want it then go for it. There are there are always going to be pros and cons. There are always going to be hard days. There are always going to be self-doubt of, oh my gosh, am I making the right decision? Am I doing the right thing? But the joy your child will bring you like through the years, and I know I'm only kind of coming up to five years with mine, but every day, every week, every month, every year so far, you know, it's it's just been a blessing having him in my life because it's changed me and and seeing him grow, turning into his own personality, his own character, you know, and 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 for me, it's you don't want to regret. Like it's the best decision that I've I've ever made because I have no regrets and I will have no regrets because I made the right decision. I, I went with what what my gut and my heart was telling me and it was telling me that this is what I wanted. So yeah, so my advice is if, if it's something you you want and it's going to fulfill you, then then just jump in the rest will fall into place you figure out a way don't you you figure out yeah. a way to make it happen yeah and you know I found out it was successful and and everything I was like oh my goodness then it was like what if it's twins how am I going to get twins onto a plane or onto a train or onto this or onto that and I actually spoke to a, an, an ex-manager of mine in in Australia who went through IVF and she had twins and she goes, Janiel, if you have twins, you'll know no different. Yeah. If you have a, you know, you have one and then you have twins, then you're kind of like, oh, wow, having one was really easy. Two's just a handful. But if you just have two or if you have one, you know no different. You know no different of yeah. how to change a nappy or, you know, your feeding routine or anything. But it it all just falls into place. You can so overthink something like this, yeah. but actually, the, the the hardest part is making that decision. Yeah, going for it, and and the rest will just follow. Oh well, thank you so much. It's been so lovely to chat to you. No worries. Thank you again for having me. If you've enjoyed this episode of the podcast and would like to access bonus episodes featuring donor-conceived people, psychologists and other experts, you can head over to my website, thestalkandi.com, to subscribe to the Thriving Solo membership. For $2.99 a month, you'll get access to members-only episodes as well as the entire back catalogue. 
you'll get access to useful resources and a monthly community call, which are a great opportunity to meet people in a similar situation to you. On my website, you can also find more information about the coaching I offer. You can also follow me on Instagram at thestalkandi.com to get an insight into the realities of solo parent life.